Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's Monday, February 6th. 2017, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Kishore Hari. Indrag will be back next week. Each week, we bring you a new in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters. You can find us online at motherjones.com slash inquiringminds, inquiringshow.tumblr.com, on Twitter or Facebook. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. So I work at a university, and one of the biggest conversations that you hear inside academic research centers is whether scientists should engage in social media, which is a weird question in this day of age where social media dominates the landscape, and scientists are people too, so why shouldn't they be on social media connecting and engaging all different publics? And you hear in response all of these examples of where scientists have incredibly failed at getting a message across on social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, and a million others. Oftentimes, the examples cited show the invasion of trolls that dissect and affect the message, oftentimes in the context of climate change, and also just the time investment to do it well. Well, this week, I wanted to have a different perspective of successes of science reaching out into the world of social media. So I have on Nate Allen. He's a chemist that works in the private sector, but he's most famous for being the lead moderator for Reddit's R Science, which is one of the largest subreddits on the entire site. For those that are not familiar with Reddit, uh, it's sort of Labeled as the place where conversation happens on the internet, it's one of the top 10 most visited websites in the world where communities self-form and have very large membership. And one of their largest membership communities is R Science, which has nearly 15 million members right now. Nate's been the lead moderator for four years, and we are going to get into a discussion of how science interacts well in social media, what that looks like, and what the results have been of that, especially in today's climate, where it seems like we are divided into echo chambers more and more. So let's take a short break. We'll be back with my interview with Nate Allen. Support for this episode comes from Toyota and their new 2017 Highlander. If you're like me, when the weekend comes, you don't want to just sit around the house. You want to get out with the family, explore new places, try new things. Maybe check out a science museum, hit a festival, or just head out into nature. 
Well, the new Toyota Highlander is the perfect vehicle for discovery. It starts on the outside with its sleek design and aggressive new front grille that says you've got an attitude for adventure. Its improved powertrain makes it more fun to drive and more fuel efficient than ever. It has Toyota Safety Sense technology standard, including a pre-collision system and lane departure alert. It even has five USB charging ports because, you know, the last thing you want is for someone's device to run out of power. And one of my favorite features is Driver Easy Speak, which lets you broadcast what you say to the rear seats so your passengers can hear you. Doesn't mean they'll listen, but at least they can hear you. So navigate to your nearest Toyota dealer or toyota.com and see why there's always more to discover in the new 2017 Highlander. Drivers are responsible for their own safe driving. Always pay attention to your surroundings and drive safely. Depending on the conditions of roads, weather, and the vehicle, the systems may not work as intended. See owner's manual for additional limitations and details. The TSS pre-collision system is not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. Lane departure alert is not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. Nate Allen, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Hi. So when most people hear the word Reddit, I think they have a lot of ideas pop in their head. But the science part of Reddit is a little bit different. It defies some of those stereotypes people have of Reddit. Can you kind of describe the culture of the science subreddit and a little bit about its history? Well, so the science subreddit is, I think it's the third oldest subreddit. It's one of the original ones that was developed. I think it was after computer science or programming and not safe for work. So science was the one crafted after that. So it's always been a default subreddit. It's always been one of the big ones. The culture of it has varied over time. Right now, through a lot of hard work, we've driven a culture where we want the conversation to be typical at a science conference talk. So we want on-topic, polite conversation about the subject at hand. And we have a lot of good volunteers who help enforce that. But when you say a science conference talk, you're also implying there's some hard-hitting question and back and forth as well. There absolutely is. Our rule there is one can disagree without being disagreeable. You can say, I do not believe the premise you're putting forward. But you can't say, you know, you're an idiot. You alluded to that it's one of the larger subreddits out there. How many people are we talking about are subscribed to this area? Currently, we're a bit over 15 million subscribers. Uh, we're growing at a really ridiculous rate. Uh, I think we add a million and a half to two million subscribers a year or more, sometimes three. I'd have to go back and look at the trends. But as little as Three years ago, we were about 4 million. So in three or four years, we've added 10 million subscribers. Wow. And, and when you say we, you're referring to the moderators of this forum. How many moderators are working to maintain a forum with 15 million users? Currently, we have approximately 1,400 moderators. We have more moderators on our science than all 49 other defaults combined, including the other big one, Ask Science, which also adopted our, our methodology. They have about 400. Is there a reason science is so popular on this site? This seems like you've carved out this niche, or am I 
um, missing something here. Maybe science is just as popular everywhere, but 15 million is a massive number. It is a huge number. And that's, you know, the subscriber base. When you talk about people who are actively involved and engaging in the subreddit, it's, it's a smaller number. But, you know, that number have made a conscious choice to maintain science in their newsfeed. And that means they're at least marginally interested in what might come up. And that gives us the ability for them to know that and be aware, which is a pretty big, uh, pretty big effect, really. For the most part, what's on the, the subreddit are posts and links to current active research. And you'll see links to journal articles, and there'll be discussions on them. But what really drew me in, and I think what exploded the popularity of our science, and I'm curious if you think so too, is when you introduce these AMAs, these Q&A sessions with uh, scientists from around the globe. Yeah, we really uh, got good feedback on that. There's something really special about an AMA in the Reddit format. The sense of commonality you get with somebody who is really a top-notch scientist. You really feel like you are in a conversation with them. And it's hard to have that experience really elsewhere. This is is a unique format that we can really pull off on Reddit and doesn't work quite as well anywhere else, in my opinion. Uh, we went out and recruited scientists, but pretty soon scientists started hearing about it. They started learning, and now scientists really come to us quite a bit, and we actually have to pick and choose to fit them into the schedule to not overwhelm the subreddit with too many AMAs and not restrict how popular anyone is. We don't want somebody to come on AMA and not get any audience response, right? That would be a disaster. So we want to promote good science, and we want to be choosy about that. And tell me about the kind of scientists that are doing this. Are we talking about it's celebrity scientists like Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson? Or are we talking, you know, active researchers that are in the lab and publishing currently publishing work? So we're preferential to people who have recently published scientific results. So we want to bring the active professional science to the scientists, to the general public. We want them to have a voice with the general public. The celebrity scientists tend to not actually be scientists. They tend to be celebrities more than anything else. And that diminishes the impact of their language to the public in our minds. It doesn't help humanize scientists. It helps humanize celebrities when they talk. And that's not our goal. Our goal is the guy who did the work in the lab comes and talks about why he did that, how he did that, and why it's important to him so people see what an actual scientist is like. And do you have a sense of why scientists keep coming back and why it's sort of exploded in popularity in the uh, wor- in the sci- professional scientist world? Because I hear about it all the time from academic researchers at my university and others as the place to go. Uh, to have a forum uh, in an intelligent form at that. So we, we have a great mixture of very strict moderation of our AMA comments. So you can be a 60-year-old member of the National Academies of Science who doesn't know 
anything about Reddit or the culture of the internet and how to deal with internet trolls or anything like that. And you can come and have a civil conversation with the internet. So it's a safe place to have that conversation. Then we also have our large contingent of Flaherty users who are users who have verified with us, the moderation team, and proven who they are and what degree they have and what field they work in. And these people ask very pointed, hard questions to our guests. A number of times people have commented that the questions are on par with the last review for funding they had. So they're very, they can be very hard questions and they can be very, uh, you know, involved and motivated questions. So people have to think about them and engage with them. But then you also have the question from the teenage kid who's looking to go into college and thinks your field is great and wants to know how to get into it. So you get this massive gambit where you get these people who are super excited about what you're doing as a scientist. I think that's really rare to feel that excitement from the general public. And then there's there's the cost of it too. What do you mean by cost? Well, so the cost, right? If you wanted to go on TV and talk to somebody and, and have an interview, well, you'd have to go to a TV station. You'd have to nuke a day of your life in order to do this. We do everything else so that the scientist puts one hour after or before lunch in, and that's all the time they have to put in. So we, we take care of everything else. So the overhead and the amount of effort they have to put into this is relatively small. They just have to have a conversation for an hour. You keep, you keep saying general public, and while I agree that there's a broad uh, section of people that are engaging here, as you described, it's still science-motivated people that are coming into this subreddit. Would you agree? Primarily. It depends on how well the AMA does as a, as a link. If it gets on the front page and it sits on the front page, it will be massively skewed to the general public. You will get just the population of Reddit, the people who are just scrolling through the links and see it randomly and decide to post a question. If it doesn't get to the front page of Reddit, it will tend to be a much more engaged, scientifically literate group. So you get these AMAs that they might have fewer questions, but oh my, are those questions involved in understanding of the science. Yeah, it, just for reference, one of the reasons I really love this subreddit is there is a, a recent concussion study that came out of Northwestern University. And, you know, I'm a trained scientist and I know how to read papers, but I don't have time to like check the statistical analysis that, you know, health papers are doing. And what you'll often see in some of the in this subreddit is uh, interdisciplinary researchers, people that have lots of skill in the in the statistics world or in some other topic, come in and chime in as experts, pointing out both the advantages and disadvantages of how they conducted certain studies, which is something that is really hard to get just by talking one-on-one -on -one with that scientist. One thing I have learned by doing this is how little I know about other fields of science. When I was an undergrad, I thought I knew science. Man, I know science. Let me tell you about biology. Let me tell you about physics. Oh, yeah, chemistry. Now I'm like, well, I know a little bit about a small amount of chemistry. When in reality, 
relative to the general public, I know a ton about all these sciences. But what I've learned from talking about experts is you really don't know that much. And learning what you do and you don't know is very important to your ability to recognize when you need help to understand something. And reading these comments and the depth of knowledge people can just spit out in an internet comment from quickly looking at something lets you know what you do and you don't know. So it gets you in a reality check. You become humble about what you know, but you can also learn so much so quickly. So this is fascinating to me about this forum and and sort of zooming out in general about scientists engaging on social media. Uh, You can't go anywhere in the science world without somebody having a hot take around how and where scientists should engage on social media, if at all. And uh, this gave me a different perspective. I'm wondering, now that you've been doing this for a number of years, what's your sort of general feeling about scientists engaging on these new platforms that are emerging uh, and what it takes to be really successful and deliver a good experience and a good engagement experience to the people on the other side? Well, two parts to this. Should scientists engage in new media and directly reach the public? Absolutely, they should without question. Something I say a lot is the scientists need to speak up for the science. It used to be the case that scientists said the science will speak for itself. The facts will win the day. That's not true. If the scientists don't speak for the science, no one will speak for the science, and then the science will not be funded anymore. So if you want your field of study to continue to be an ongoing occupation, you need to get out there you need to engage the public, and you need to motivate the public to support the science you're doing. So you have a moral obligation in our new world to reach out and support what you do. So there's that. Then how do you be effective at this? And this is something that we're really focusing on this coming year. We recognize that we may be doing science a service by bringing scientists to talk to the general public but we may also be doing science a disservice. We're assuming the scientists who come and answer questions are doing a good job of connecting with the general public. And in many cases, they are. But what if they aren't? How do they know? These are trained scientists who are trained how to do the science, not necessarily trained how to do the communication of the science and communicating and connecting with people and motivating people to support you. This is a different style of communication than scientists are known for doing. And we want to build a curriculum so that scientists can quickly brush up on how to talk to the public, what to concentrate on, how to engage people. And it doesn't come naturally to scientists. How do you tell us, do you tell us, story about research by just telling the results and the technical details? Or do you tell a funny anecdote about how you did this in lab and how you came around this? Now, a lot of us recognize that you tell the funny anecdote and you humanize the science and people, it brings them along. But some people will just regurgitate the methodology section of their latest paper. When you're thinking about this, because there's a number of 
training programs out there now, much more so than when I was uh, training to be a, a scientist, that are available to scientists. You know, universities, research centers, even private companies are investing in these uh, types of trainings uh, for their scientists. When it comes down to it, what do you think makes for an effective training program? I, I've heard a lot of uh, social scientists talk about how uh, scientists often come to the table trying to correct misinformation or um, you, you know try to better explain their work as opposed to thinking longer term about uh, building trust within their field or increasing engagement with the enterprise overall. Absolutely. And this is one of the base personality elements that dominate scientists is they're motivated to speak when they feel they can correct misinformation. Otherwise, they're perfectly happy not engaging in that conversation. So it's it's the old, also probably goes back to the old adage is, if you want an answer to a question on the, on the internet, don't ask the question, answer the question wrongly, and then somebody will come and correct you. So you have that going on. And this can be okay in some cases, but most of the time it comes off as high-handed, elitist, and removed from society, which is not what we want. We want scientists to emphasize that they are one of us and that they are part of the community and that they can relate and they understand. So teaching scientists to communicate this, you're right, there are programs that are out there that tend to stress this, but I found they don't tend to stress new media communication. They tend to stress old media communication, presentation styles, uh, talking styles, writing styles, writing prose, where something like Twitter or Reddit or Facebook is writing, but you don't get to have a rough draft that you get to edit. You have to write it in real time and hit it the first time, and it has to be in response, and then it has to have a follow-up. And these writing skills aren't formally taught anywhere that I know of, let alone things like how do you deal with trolls? How do you recognize trolls? What do trolls do and why do trolls do what they do? These are all effective tools a communicator really needs to function at a high level in you know, the internet media world. Now, we're living in what seems to be extraordinary times for science. There's Numerous stories of, of scientists feeling like they're under attack, either they're gagged or muzzled uh, by employers or in, in the government, uh, a sense of declining respect for the, for the work, or especially when it comes to certain topics like climate change or public health. But I say the word seems really intentionally because Pew did a survey recently that indicated that scientists are held uh, about as high in regard as any other profession, uh, just behind firefighters and military personnel. And you basically are the head moderator of one of the largest communities of science scientists in the world. What's your sense of how scientists are feeling right now? And has that shifted in recent times? Well, I know many scientists are very concerned. Obviously, a lot of people are concerned about the latest political results and where this is going to shift funding for science in the future. Funding for science has been cut 
time after time after time over the past decade. And it's so hard to get funding for academics these days. It's really putting a strain. It's harder to get funding for you to be a postdoc and a grad student. And some recent things we've seen make us concerned that this will will continue and will become worse. That being said, we all in science know the basic value of science for the prosperity of this country. And that also worries us because by not funding science, we're not funding the future prosperity of this country. So when we get politically active about the funding of science and point out how essential it is, we're also pointing out how important the future of the country is. So if you were talking to a scientist that showed up on on the uh, science subreddit right now, would you be encouraging them to get more active, um, either politically or just um, with their voice on uh, new media, given the circumstances of the day? I think I would. That doesn't mean you have to be a zany, out-there extremist. You can just relate your concern about the issues going forward. Just saying, I'm worried about this, and people seeing that will represent the number of people who are concerned about this. And I think sometimes being quiet makes people think that nobody's concerned about this. I think a good portion of the general public is very concerned about ongoing funding for science. You know, you've said funding a lot. Um, let me be devil's advocate for a second. You know, it, I'm never going to argue that there needs to be a whole lot less funding for science, um, given its return to uh, the the culture and the economy as a whole. But you have to admit, we haven't paid the bill in terms of uh, convincing the people footing the actual bill that we are delivering on the investment they're making in us. Uh, a lot of ways, uh, a majority of scientists here in the United States, they're funded by taxpayers and um, haven't done a good job of communicating why, uh, what value they bring to those taxpayers. Perhaps we haven't communicated it as well as we could to the taxpayers. That's why I say scientists need to speak up for their science. We need to personally take that on. I do, however, think the United States has absolutely gotten a great return on their investment in science as a country. If you look at the areas of the country that are doing the best for job creation and job growth, frankly, where everyone's moving, there's always a big conglomeration of research institutions there. These research institutions that get a lot of funding from the NIH, from the NSF, they churn out startups related to them. These students get world-class educations and they move nearby and they make a new startup company and then that company takes off. This is seen time and time again. If it's Boston or San Francisco or even you know Los Angeles and you know New Jersey, where you find scientific investment, you will find job growth and prosperity. Where you don't find highly funded science, you find civilization in decline. But we're also in a in a time where, where scientists are more worried than ever of their work being politicized uh, and being 
overshadowed by an ideology that is uh, beyond their capability to influence. Um, what's your sense from you know being in touch with so many scientists about how they're approaching that issue, which has long been a sensitive one for many scientists? Politicization of science is definitely a concern. Nobody in science wants to work with ideologically driven people. It's kind of revolting to us. We're drummed in this. Our entire training is you, you let the data decide where to go. And ideologically driven conclusions are just not acceptable in any way. That being said, people outside of science will push a narrative by which they assume scientists are politically motivated. Whether or not this is true or not, it's a means to the end of people who are political. So it's, it's one of these cases where if you don't like the conclusion of the science, well, the science must be wrong. How is the science wrong? The scientists are biased. You come up with a reason for why the science must be wrong if it disagrees with you. And that's ideologically driven disagreement, which doesn't really work really well in a free market of scientific ideas. We see this in climate science. We see it a lot of places. At the end of the day, there's lots of reasons. If you're a science fan or um, a fan uh, or a scientist uh, um, yourself, there's lots of reasons to be pessimistic. Uh, declining funding, uh, a sense that um, uh, government isn't uh, appreciating your work or may even censor your work in some ways. Yet you also, at the top of the show, presented something different, a an area of, of the internet where we've seen a tripling over a, a few years in terms of the number of people uh, engaging with science and not just engaging at, uh, at a shallow level with some depth uh, in, in terms of their engagement. What's your general sense, optimistic or pessimistic, of what lies ahead for the enterprise, given all that you're you're sort of seeing over this large community? Well, it depends on what field of science you're looking at. I think we're going to see, moving forward, a lot of interdisciplinary subjects expanding and growing into fields that science never could touch before. And it's really going to open up this world of discovery that will make us feel like we're living in the future. That being said, a lot of fields of science are going to start feeling a little less loved, shall we say, because they're victims of their own success. If you're so successful, you've answered so many questions, people will start using the tools of your field in these interdisciplinary fields. These interdisciplinary fields, they engage people like nothing else. They are touching so many people's lives and answering so many people's questions about the things that go on in their lives. It's really amazing. So from a scientific in society standpoint, I think the best is yet to come. I think the biotechnology revolution is going to give people hope and vision beyond any other time in our history. I think we're also going to see a lot of the classic sciences, sadly, chemistry being one of them, will be 
will shrink and not be talked about nearly as much because we're a victim of our own success. The success of chemistry is now neuroscience. It's now molecular biology. It's chemical biology. It's moved into biology. We've gotten so good at the chemistry that we can do things that aren't chemistry anymore, but they're enabled by chemistry. Walter White could not save us. Um, I do have uh, one last question. I think a lot of our listeners uh, are probably new to the R Science subreddit. Uh, if they're coming for the first time, is there anything from its history that you'd recommend them checking out as a best example of what of what it stands for and what ke- keeps you coming back? Oh, goodness. There's just so much. We've had almost 1,500 AMAs over the past three and a half years. There's been so much content in there. Stephen Hawking did an AMA for us, which was quite memorable. It's their, obviously our most popular AMA ever. But we've also had like Temple Grandin, who that movie Temple Grandin was based on. She came and did an AMA with us. We've had atmospheric scientists come and settle disputes within the field in the comment section of an AMA, which is just a highlight for me, right? That's something that I couldn't be happier about happening. We've had students do AMAs and be more excited about doing an AMA than publishing the paper they're doing the AMA about. And that paper was published in, you know, the journal Science, which is the top flight journal you could possibly get in. This enthusiasm really comes through. But as for far as one particular one or two particular things, there's just so much. I couldn't possibly pick out that much. Fair enough. Nate, thank you so much for curating one of the largest science communities on the internet. And thank you so much for joining us on Inquiring Minds. Thank you very much. So that's it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining us on this installment of Inquiring Minds. And we'd especially like to thank our supporters on our Patreon campaign. Especially David Noel, Kyle Raihala, Jonathan Worsley, Shushi Lin, Eric Clark, John Kirk, Jordan Millar, Herring Chang, Sean Johnson, and Nick Cadillac. You can visit our website, inquiringshow.tumblr.com, and you can support us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, and you can send comments, feedback, future guest ideas, your idea for an upcoming AMA, or anything else you'd like to inquiringminds at climatedesk.org. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac in collaboration with The Climate Desk. Our music is provided by award-winning producer Rian Sheehan. And I'm your host, Kishore Hari. Indre will be back next week. Support for this episode comes from Toyota and their new 2017 Highlander. With its sleek, aggressive design, improved powertrain for better performance and fuel efficiency, plus standard Toyota Safety Sense technology, there's always more to discover in the new 2017 Highlander. Visit toyota.com for details. Drivers are responsible for their own safe driving. Always pay attention to your surroundings and drive safely. Depending on the conditions of roads, weather, and the vehicle, the systems may not work as intended. See Owner's Manual for additional limitations and details. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.